the big thing is, is I think about my life and how it's unfolded. And, you know, I ended up graduating in music from BYU. I met my husband at BYU. And so that small thing of not going to UCLA, I wouldn't have met my husband. And so that very small thing of not getting that letter, it, it changed the complete trajectory of my life. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I am so excited to introduce our guest, who's someone I, I have admired for so long. And um, and we come from the same city, and we come from the same same place and almost the same high schools. We were just down the street from each other. So we, we, we uh, have so much in common. And um, when we connected, it was such a fun experience. And now we get to actually do a little... Uh, little bit of, of uh, having uh, a, a nice little intimate conversation, not so intimate since you are all listening as well. And so this will be a lot of fun. And that's Whitney Johnson. And she is just such a such an incredible individual. If you don't know her, you've been hiding under a rock. Uh, you, you, you absolutely must know her. So Whitney, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Oh, Brian, that's so nice. And it is fun that we're from the same hometown. And like you said, practically the same high school. Very fun. I know. I know. When I saw that, I was like, wow, what are the chances? Because like, rarely people are from here. It's usually a melting pot of never, you know, never being from here. People just, people come here from other places. So, um, so I would love to just jump right in and uh, talk with you about uh, shifts and talk about the shifts in your life and how that applies. And then also about shifts in the work that you're creating and the work that you're putting out into the world and how that affects others. Um, and I know you're, you are known as an expert on helping high growth organizations develop high growth individuals. And that's another thing I want to get to as well. Um, but first things first, let's jump right in. I want to know what's one thing that felt small to you at the time, but ended up being a big shift for you? Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, so the, th- the thing that just came into my head, and maybe I don't know that I thought it was that small, but I'm going to share it because it just, this is what I thought of. And, you know, think about big shifts over time. So when I was in high school, I really wanted to go to UCLA. So, um, as your listeners may have surmised, we're both from San Jose. I went to Leland. Did you go? Where did you go? Pioneer? Is that right? I went to Pioneer. Yeah, Pioneer. Okay, so there, we we played each other in sports. Anyway, I really wanted to go to UCLA, and the reason I wanted to go to UCLA was for a very highbrow reason, which was our family went to Stanford football games, and I liked their cheerleaders, and so I wanted to go to UCLA for that reason. So I applied to UCLA, and. Um, and I never hear back from them. Like, I just don't hear back from them at all. And so I finally end up going to, I got admitted to um, or accepted at BYU, Brigham Young University in Utah. I go to Brigham Young University. And about a month later, I get a call from UCLA saying, where are you? I'm like, well, what do you mean, where am I? And they said, well, you're admitted. So why aren't you here at school? 
And so at the time I'm like, oh, well, oops. And I just went on my way and went and, and stayed at BYU and I didn't change schools. And so at the time I really didn't think about it. They didn't accept me. No big deal. I'm at BYU. I'm not going to change. But I think about that one thing, small thing that I didn't ever get the acceptance letter. And at the time I was a senior in high school, my parents were divorcing that year. So none of us really had the presence of mind to be like, I wonder what's going on. Maybe we should call them and figure that out. And so that's kind of a small thing as well. But but the big thing is, is I think about my life and how it's unfolded. And, you know, I ended up graduating in music from BYU. I met my husband at BYU. And so that small thing of not going to UCLA, I wouldn't have met my husband. And so that very small thing of not getting that letter, it it changed the complete trajectory of my life. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it, it, and how many of those, uh, moments do you have when rejection turns into, um, an opportunity or, or opportunities, uh, especially something as big as meeting your husband, um, it, which is, which, which, which has so many cascading effects, like, children or um or or just even like little uh, if you've seen sliding doors the movie it, it it there's so many different other things that could go go as a fallout to that um also you mentioned music and um and i'd love to know like where was music um how how was that a part of your life and is it still a part of your life and how has that shifted part of your life is it now before and now yeah, so I um, I actually majored in music. I had I'd studied piano in high school, and I, I think you know it's interesting because I'd like to be able to tell you that I was really ambitious when I was in high school, and I think at some level I was, but I had no direction whatsoever. So I went to college, and I, I think this happened probably to a lot of women in my generation where we're like, I'm going to do something, but I don't know what, like, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And so I went to BYU. My plan was, well, I'm going to major in music because that's sort of what my mom wanted me to do. And that was the plan. Um, And so I did. I graduated in music. I studied piano. I discovered jazz and I thought jazz is super awesome, but never got very good at it. Um, I was a classical pianist. And so I graduated from college and I was like, okay, music, we're done. Finished. Go to New York. My husband's in school. Um, he's getting his PhD at Columbia. We need to, you know, food on the table. So I decided I'm going to work. And that's when I got a job and I discovered Wall Street. So I, I started as a, as a secretary to a stockbroker. And so that was another like sort of almost inconsequential thing of my first job turned out to be on Wall Street. And that, again, changed the trajectory of my career. And in answer to your question about music, for many, 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 many years, I have done little to nothing with music other than sometimes accompanying people in church when they're singing solos. But over the last, I would say, two to three years, it started to bubble back up like in this really powerful way. And I had this one person actually on my newsletter um, who kept saying, are you playing? Are you playing? Are you playing? I'm like, no, no, no. And and I finally said, I got to start playing. So we got a piano again and I made a goal that I would just play for five seconds a day. And now 
like yesterday, I played for a half an hour. So it's starting to be, so this whole part of me that was dormant for all these years is starting to come back alive. And I think that's one super cool thing about as our careers get established, there's pieces of us that we set aside that they start to come back. And in this really powerful way, because now there's not ego attached to it. It's just you're creating because you want to create it. And you're not trying to make a living. It's just because you want to do it and it brings you happiness. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And more of that, please. My, um, my, my instrument of choice was saxophone. The one that my parents made me do was piano. And I, play, and I played piano and I, I actually appreciate it now more than anything because it actually gave me more of the foundation and understanding for music but saxophone gave me more at the time it gave me more more joy and and i've got it sitting in the other room and during the pandemic i pulled it out and did the same thing and i was like wow i really suck but i'm enjoying it i I am enjoying it a lot and i'm like I, i it's like it's like having been a skier when you're little and just thinking, well, I can just get on the skis again and I'll ski just like I did yesterday. But no, that is not how it's going to go. And and so I, I respect the fact that you did that five seconds a day. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, and, and what happens, as you know, is, I mean, you're a marketer, you know this better than I do. You start building those neural pathways. And if you were a musician when you're younger, you've got a lot of neural pathways. So it just starts to reconnect and start to fire. And then you find yourself, if you're doing that with saxophone, you know, you think, well, I'm probably going to live another 30, maybe 40 years. That's a lot of time to actually get really good at this instrument um, at a time of life where it could bring us tremendous pleasure. And, and not to mention the fact that our family's enjoying hear, hearing us play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. After... After a little bit of practice, I'm sure. But um, so you you um, you met your husband. You uh, you 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 just um, uh, started out in stock uh, and and uh, doing um, uh, Wall Street. And um, and tell me about that. What happened on Wall Street, and where did that go? Yeah. So this is pretty exciting. So I. So graduated, he, we go to New York and I was terrified. I literally would not have gone to New York. So this is another thing. I went because my husband wanted to go. Um, like I remember driving into Manhattan. I'm like, what are we doing here? I wouldn't leave my apartment the first week, but you know, you've got to go eat. So you have to work. So I end up working on Wall Street for a stockbroker. It's very working girl. I even had the big hair and all of that, you know, stuff to go with it. And I remember um, going, you know, starting and I was working as a secretary and just kind of doing my work every day and I go to work and there's all these stockbrokers, think again, bonfire, the vanities, working girl, all that was going down, liars poker. And I hear all these stockbrokers like saying to people to try to get them to open accounts, like throw down your pom-poms and get in the game and at first, I'm super offended because I was a cheerleader at Leland High School. But then I decide I need to throw down my pom-poms. And that was like this thing. It just flipped for me. I'm like, what am I doing? 
Like I'm working and I need to work. I'm going to be working for a long time. Why am I making X when 10X is a possibility? And just something, I think I, I do credit being married. I think sometimes people are like, oh, marriage ties you down. Marriage is what anchored me. Marriage is what tethered me. Marriage is what gave me the confidence that I could go out and experiment and try some things. Because I, I look at my life and it started when I got married. And so I just, I started going to school at night and then I moved from being a secretary to a banker and then equity research analyst. And then I disrupted myself and met Clayton Christensen and started a fund and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Over 20 wow. years. This is not in two seconds. By yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what, so how did being a stockbroker inform you? Like what, what, that, that just seems like a, such a stressful job. Um, and, and also you have to, you have to be intelligent and also intuitive and, and, and really like spreadsheets. Yeah. Oh, it's such a great question. So (laughs) maybe I'm missing more. Uh, so, so I, so I didn't end up being a stockbroker. What I was is an equity analyst. So, so, so you're so I worked for a stockbroker, but then I became an equity analyst. So what I did is I would look at companies. So I was covering emerging markets, telecom, and media, and I would have to say to myself, "Do I think this stock is a buy or a sell or hold?" So I'd build a financial model, figure out you know what are its projections. Do I think it's under or overvalued, and then make a stock call. So there, your question is, what did it teach me? The thing that it taught me what that was a life lesson that is so important is that up until that time, I really struggled to have an opinion on something. I had learned to just sort of, sure, what are, what do you think? I didn't really have an opinion. And I remember at one point when I first initiated coverage on my very first stock and one of my colleagues, he was probably 10 years older than me. He said, I was like, should it be a buy? Should it be a sell? I mean, I was just wringing my hands over it. And he looked at me and he said, his name is Bob Goldman. I will never forget it. And I am all, will always be grateful to him. He said, stop being a shrinking violet. Have a, make a, make a call, make a call. And so what being a stock analyst did for me is it taught me that I have to make a call. I have to decide if it's a buy, is it a sell? And then I have to be willing to to stand behind my conviction. And there's no way that I could do what I do now if I hadn't had that experience of being willing to have an opinion, to make a call. So that... I mean, there are other things that it taught me, but that is one that's unlikely and and life changing for me. Yeah. Oh, I can see that coming up all the time for you, um, and 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 in right or wrong, um, it it it's something that needs to happen if you want to move forward. Otherwise, you stall out, and uh, and you're just running in place. Um, absolutely. Um, what what happened next? So I put a buy on the stock and it went up. So that was awesome. Um, and so I did, I was an equity analyst. Is that, are you asking me about what happened to my career next? Okay. Yeah. So I, I did that for about eight years and the next big thing that happened is I discovered, so I was covering, uh, 
telecom in Latin America, and I kept seeing wireless numbers beat my wireline numbers. And this is early 2000, so like almost 20 years ago now. And I came across a book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. And I read that book and it was revelatory because it told me, oh, this is what's happening. Wireless is disrupting wireline. That's why they keep on beating your estimates. They, they're, they're, it's upending this industry. And so that was the next big thing that happened for me. As I said, now I have this explanatory mechanism to understand what's happening in this industry. And then as I tend to always do, I look for, okay, so I get the theory and how this applies to products and services, but what does this mean for me? Like, as the human being, what does this mean for me? And we're talking about humanly possible. Well, how did this, how did this theory apply to me? And so that's when I had this aha, like this disruption, it applies to people. Like people can disrupt themselves. What does that look like? So that was the next big thing that happened is I just started thinking about that and wondering about that. And I wrote an article in HBR in 2012 called Disrupt Yourself. So that was the next big thing that happened is just having this aha around that. And the also the important thing was, as I realized, took me a while, Clay had to kind of persuade me of this, is I was a good stock picker because I can spot momentum, but I was a lot less interested in picking stocks than I was in picking people. Like I'm much more interested in the momentum of people and how do I help people build momentum? Way more interesting for me. Hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So how do you now find... Uh, momentum in, in uh, people. Like, how do you spot that? And and tell me more about that. Like, what is what is it that um, you see in others that creates and holds back that momentum? And how do you spot it first? That's really interesting. Do you know that no one has ever asked me that exact question? Really? Ever? So now I'm going to have to think about it. <laughs> you can um, take you can take as much time as you need because. We're we're a human to human here, so yeah, we're human. Yeah, so I think, so I think that one thing is that okay. So if I think about um, momentum, w- what's in place? So I think about the S curve of learning. So this is you know I've got the personal disruption framework, and then this S curve of like we're all in this S curve. We start at the launch point, we move into the sweet spot, we get into mastery, and we learn, leap, and repeat. And so there's this continual growth cycle. So what do I look for in a person? I look for at a at a basic level of is this person you know playing to their strengths like. Do, do they know what their strengths are? Are they playing to them? Are they finding a way to play in a place that other people aren't playing? So they're going to be able to, there's this flywheel effect in it and be able to gain momentum around that. And I know I just use momentum. But the bigger piece of it is, is that do they have the hunger, the hunger to do whatever it takes that when it's not working, they will tweak it. And when they get feedback that something is not working, will they change? It comes down to it. It comes down to that. I totally will get that. They, will it change? Like if you give me feedback, will I listen to it? Will I act on it? Will I do something different? And, and basically, are you willing to disrupt yourself? I'm here and I'm kind of moving along over one up one. I just got feedback. It's not working. Am I willing to go from here, what I was doing, this level of status, down here, down, 
because I believe that in the future, the slope of my line will be over one up three. And so I will be more effective. And so, so it's a, those different pieces, but the, the, the fundamental, um, uh, necessary, necessary, necessary is does this person want to change and are they willing to do the work to change? Can you spot that desire? Can you see that in someone? Like, does it take you time or can you see it immediately? I can see it pretty fast. So there's two things that I can do. One of my superpowers is like, if I spend a little bit of time with a person, I can like name their gift. I can just see it. And so I can see their gift. And then the question becomes, is we're talking about what they're doing. If I hear them saying, well, I don't know, they start making excuses. But they're like, so, well, yeah, I couldn't do it because of this, or I couldn't do this because of that, or I'm kind of scared. And it's like, excuse you're like, okay, it's not going to happen. They're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's, it, isn't that funny? The mindset. It, yeah. So you're looking awful. for mindset. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. They, and then until they've they turned, until they're ready, mindset is everything. Yeah. And sometimes we're not, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of time. I mean, we've all been in those places where, I mean, you and I have both probably had situations where they're like, oh, if Brian would just do this, or if Whitney would just do this, and we're not quite ready, right? But then when we are ready, then people come into our lives and they're like, okay, I can help you. And then they help you and then you make progress. But that's the thing that I look for in myself too. And I think, I think we all do is my goal is I want to not only make progress, but I want the rate at which I'm making progress to accelerate. And that's one of the exciting things I think about getting older is that you have enough tools that you're not only making progress, but we can make progress faster. Yeah. I've noticed that. It's exciting. Yeah. It's it's almost like you can slow down to speed up at the same time as well. And 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 get it um, get it faster, uh, do things faster, but not work. I don't want to say work harder, um, but work smarter. Even though yeah, it's we're an more efficient. Statement, but we're more efficient. More efficient. Yeah, yeah. That's so powerful. Um, how and do you think it, this is teachable? I do, I do. I mean, I think one of the things I'm really excited about, Brian, is so. So my last two books, you know, I wrote about personal disruption and I wrote about how can you take this and apply it to people. But this next book that's coming out in January is all about the S-curve of learning. So it's reimagining that S-curve. It's a microcosm of the diffusion curve. And it's basically, here's a model. Here's what growth looks like. And so what does it look and feel like at the launch point when you're in the sweet spot and mastery? What do you need to do to accelerate? How do you complete that growth cycle? So yeah, absolutely. It's teachable. It's just like learning how to disrupt ourselves is teachable. It's a muscle like anything else. I mean, that's the thing that I believe fundamentally is that growth is our default setting. And if we're not growing, it's because we don't know how to, or we've gotten afraid that we can't. But it is our default setting. You know, what popped up for me when you were saying that is, and maybe you were asked this a lot, but I'm just curious in in how this last year applied in the pandemic. If growth is is our default setting and you're faced with downtime or perceived downtime at least... Um, where, where I, I think every Buddhist in the world was like, welcome to our world. Um, have a seat and, and let's meditate. 
Um, you know, what does that mean for what you just said? Where yes, growth is our default setting, but also so is downtime and thinking time and 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 playing piano and playing saxophone and all of that is a part of growth. Oh right? yeah. Absolutely. I mean it's it's part of it's part of the cycle. I mean, you're you're familiar with Tiffany Schlein's work, right? I'm not. No. Okay, I need to, now Schlein, I need to be. Yeah. So she wrote a book called 246. She founded the Webby Awards. So she lives in the Bay Area. So for some reason, oh, yeah, I Webby Awards. You knew who she was. But anyway, so she wrote a book called 246 and she talks about something called a tech Shabbat. And she talks about how rest is actually a technology. So, you know, the promise of technology is it will make us more productive. It will, you know, and if you think about rest, if you look at the research, whether it's if you sleep, you'll be more productive. If you take a break and walk around the block, you'll be more productive. And so I look at this past year, there, there were a lot of really bad and difficult things that happened. And, and it gave all of us an opportunity to rest. It gave all of us an opportunity to reflect if we take, if we took it if we took it. And so I think that one of the things that we're already seeing is that there are people, and, and, and even if someone had COVID and they were able to survive, um, there, there was an opportunity for every single person of us, every single one of us to take that period of rest and of dormancy and to slingshot forward on the back of it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We have to choose it but it's an absolute possibility. And, and I think, I know for me, I certainly, you know, I built in routines and I got better at getting up in the morning because I was able to practice that discipline because I wasn't on the road. And, and in fact, one of the things I, you know, when I go back out on the road, I, I've got to figure out how to do this because I've got my routines now. Mm. Yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was, um, I, I like the caveat that you, you made that there was a lot of things that did happen, and I I also respect that too. And um, and um, I, I love I see all that, and and um, I learned how to be a different kind of person moving forward. Um, I I will never be the same, and I wonder how two years and five years from now it will disrupt us differently. Because of what just happened, what will change? What will stay the same? What will change and what will stay the same because of that? Will we forget? Will we remember? Not the, not what happened, but what you said, the routines or the, uh, the, the being with ourselves or the, uh, the way that we created from because we had time and space around us. It was a different kind of being that I haven't ever felt before. I don't know about you. And I wonder that I know we can, we had that power all along. So how do we harness that moving forward? Yeah, I think it's a both and Brian. I mean, I think about, so the the example that's coming to mind for me is I think about last summer. So we have two children that are in college and um, our, uh, both of them. So our son, who's 24, he was home. So we were all here um, 
quarantining and we were home together for like six weeks, which would not have happened had it been not been for COVID. And so we had this experience where we were together every day and we were eating dinner together every day. And our children are now these adults. So we're figuring out how do you have a relationship with your children as adults? Because it's very different than when they're children. And we had opportunities to disagree with each other. And what does that look like? But as a consequence of that experience, we're, he did not come home this summer. We're not spending six weeks together. But we talk now as a family three or four times a week for a few minutes. And so, so I think it's a both and. No, we're not going to continue to do what we did last summer, but the trajectory changed in terms of how we're interacting with each other. And so I think it's that kind of thing. And, and the question becomes is how do we continue to reinforce the things that were good and then let go of the things that were not so good. Like for example, I kind of liked wearing a mask because it allowed me to not have to, if I don't want to interact with people, right? You can hide behind it. And now I have to say, no, I need to take off my mask. I need to be willing to interact with the world. I'm vaccinated. I need to interact with people. So I've got to let go of that. I've got to be willing to engage with people in a way that, again, and I have to let go of that piece of it. So I think, like I said, I think it's a both and. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating, and and um, and also um, uh, I am curious now about where you are at in your shifts and where you're going. Um, how are you seeing shifts that now you are that are intentional? that you want to make and perhaps some that you don't know what what's going to happen because we can't control everything but um but you would love to see happen so i think one thing that i've really focused a lot on this past year which has been really important for me is is learning how to focus um of being able to do one thing at a time and then go to the next thing and so i think it's going to be harder to do that as i start traveling again but it's really important because one of the reasons it's important is not only is it more, am I more productive, but it also lowers my anxiety. Um, because when you're trying to do lots of things at once, it raises anxiety. And I don't know about you, but I, I deal with anxiety and I think a lot of people do. And so that's one of the things I want to be really and continue to be intentional around is focusing so that I can be productive and I can lower the anxiety and therefore have a better quality of life. So that's the one thing that I'm... I'm thinking about that I want to continue to do. And I think the shift that I'm trying to figure out now is as the world opens up, what do I do from a business perspective? What do I do in person? And what do I do virtually? And how do I decide what I'm going to do? Do I really get on the plane for everything that I used to get on the plane for? Or do I, am I more, am I more judicious, more discriminating about choosing what it is I choose to do in person or virtually. And that's something that I'm working through and thinking about right now. And you're oh smiling. Are you having the same experience? Uh, yeah. Well, you just, you just, you just spoke the three levels of a relationship basically, right? Uh, relationship to self, relationship to others and relationship to the bigger vision. And, um, and so which one am I choosing? And if you lacking on one of them, then you're out of balance, right? So it's like in plain myself and, and the greater organization or business. And, and it's like, which one do I choose? Cause I really need, you really kind of need all three to be, uh, in balance, but I'm really like my house and my, you know, so 
<laughs> I'm so, no one can see us, but right now, everybody, I'm putting my hands on my heart. I like being in my home and I like traveling, but I like being at home too. So, right. We've got to, we've got to figure all that out. Um, I'm, what the word that's coming up for me is intimacy. Mm, say more. Um, intimacy. Uh, if we can create more intimacy now moving forward, because everyone is coming out of, and we're going, we're going, we have just had a year of intimacy. We're having this place where we're all coming from more, a more intimate, um, time together with small groups, uh, our families, whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what that, how that might land for you. If, if companies started to look at things uh, as a more intimate infrastructure, if, if events started to look at things more intimate, um, in a more intimate way, maybe this would be a, a more pleasant experience for all of us. I love that. Yeah. Because I think that that's the, that's the opportunity where virtual is so efficient. But I just know last weekend I went, um, I had a meeting with a, a women's group um, from church that I'm in the presidency for, and we saw each other for the first time in person after 15 months. And there was an intimacy to it, and it was an occasion, and it was something that we wanted to mark. And so I think what you're saying is, how can we as a company is almost maybe have hybrid work and remote work be what we typically do, but when we get together, there's this feeling of it's special. And that I think would be very lovely. Yeah. Cause the last thing we want is 40,000 people rah, rah in an event. Um, that, that to me won't be a plane ride I look forward to. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an exciting new year, I think. Well, I can't wait and I can't wait to see what happens. And we are so here to support you in your new book when that comes out and all the learning uh, that we'll get to do from your book um, on the S-curve and um, everything that you've done and all the shifts that you've made in your life and all the, the shifts that are coming. I'm just so, so excited to have been here with you and thank you so much. Oh, Brian, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, you, you bet. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.